Turn on our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Sunday morning, we're studying the book of Romans together, coming now to chapter 14, heading into kind of a, a final stretch. If you're with us this morning and you are uh, without a Bible, just flag one of the guys coming up the aisle right now, and uh, they'll get a Bible into your hand marked to our passage for your convenience. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Just one little uh, thing. I, I was this morning before I was uh, getting ready to come uh, to church, and then and then during the worship, the Lord reminded me of a, a verse, and I think it's for someone here this morning. Maybe more than one. It's Psalm 42, verse 11, and uh, Korah writes, and he says, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me?" Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And uh, perhaps you sit here today and you're hoping in God in a situation, and, uh, but it seems hopeless. And the Lord wants you to know that uh, you're going to praise him, yet praise him in this situation when you see what he's got in mind. Uh, it, it is no guarantee that it will turn out how you're hoping it will turn out. Uh, all, there is, all I know is that when it's over, uh, you will yet praise him for what it is that he has, he has done. Now to Romans uh, chapter 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him uh, who eats, for God has received him. Uh, who are you to judge another servant? Uh, to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one uh, dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he may, might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for all of these truths that are found in it that are important to you and important to you that our thinking and our doing and our living, Lord, and our heart attitudes would be 
uh, fashioned by these things. And we pray that you would do just that by your Holy Spirit as we study your word today. Lord, I don't need to tell you that Christians are maybe the worst bunch of fighters in the whole world, just looking for a fight all of the time and fighting one another and how we need a passage like this to tell us how to see these things in life and how to see one another and conduct ourselves uh, in relationship with one another. So we thank you for this instruction. We pray that you would apply it uh, exactly as is needed in each one of our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In chapter 14, and then in the early part of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, as he's kind of nearing the end of this letter, it's the home stretch of his letter to the Romans, he addressed the issue now of how uh, the practice of Christian liberties was to be viewed, uh, uh, is to be viewed by Christians in a local church. It's important to remember that uh, the church in Rome was made up of both Jews uh, and Gentiles that had become uh, Christians. And each one of those groups brought a significant and I think probably a very formative uh, life history with them into their Christian lives. Uh, the Jewish Christians would have been raised their entire life uh, under the law of Moses which taught among many, many other things that uh, the Sabbath day, that Saturday was the single great day that was to be set aside uh, for the worship of God. The law of Moses also included all kinds of dietary uh, laws as well. E eating of pork of any kind was absolutely uh, prohibited. Uh, shellfish was also uh, forbidden. Even, fish that, uh, even food that was lawful, for instance, beef and lamb, uh, they couldn't eat it unless it had been properly blessed and it had been properly uh, bled in order that it might be uh, kosher. And then on the other hand, you've got these Gentile Christians uh, there in the church, and they came into the church with a life experience that included uh, the worship of anything and everything, the worship of all kinds of idols, or the worship of uh, uh, no God at all. And they had not the slightest concern uh, for the law of Moses or the keeping of the law of Moses and, and no concern over which day of the week the church should assemble together to worship the Lord. And the overwhelming majority of these Gentiles would have been uh, very, very uh, happy to adhere to the, uh, the old joke that is the seafood diet, to eat anything that they could see and anything that would be put uh, in front of them. Ham sandwiches, oysters, BLTs, uh, they wouldn't have had any uh, hesitation in eating anything uh, that was edible. And so a clash over these kind of differences uh, were, was inevitable. I mean, you think about it as you would just use your imagination a little bit. Imagine the first church potluck there uh, in Rome. And here you have the Jews bringing all of their kosher dishes of, of lamb and, and of beef and being very careful that there would be no uh, eating of, uh, of the meat or the dairy. 
uh, and then the Gentiles bringing in plates of pork and uh, plates of, of shellfish. And, uh, and you, you, you can view that kind of a scene with, uh, with, with some kind of uh, humor. And it, uh, and it would be humorous in our mind. But I'll tell you, it was anything but humorous uh, to the Jews. And you put yourself in the place of a Jewish person. And uh, here, imagine uh, being told every day of your life that Saturday is the single great day uh, for the worship of God. It is the day that's been set aside uh, specifically for the worship of God. And every day of your life you've been taught uh, that pork and, and the eating of shellfish was a sin against God. And that if you worshiped God in, in, the, uh, in a special way on any other day than Saturday, or you ate any of these foods, that you would be uh, rendered spiritually unclean before God. And when you have a lifetime indoctrination like that, uh, when you have uh, such a deep indoctrination as that one, it's not very easy to overcome. Even when you read in the Scripture that Jesus declared himself to be the fulfillment of the law, as he declared in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill or even when you read that, uh, that all food is lawful uh, when it's received with prayer. As Paul wrote to Timothy, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Or when Paul writes, even here in chapter 14, verse 14, and he said, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And when Paul was convinced that there was nothing unclean in and of himself, he was convinced, he declares, by the Lord Jesus. And where in the world was he convinced by the Lord Jesus concerning this? And I think probably related to Jesus' teaching uh, of the disciples in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus said to the disciples, And are you without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, and, and, uh, and he goes on with a list. And all of these evils come from within and defile a man. I remember listening to Pastor Chuck Smith teach uh, many years ago now, and he would talk about uh, the struggle that he would have when they would have these weddings on uh, Saturday at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and they would just line up. They may have seven weddings in a day, uh, so many people wanting to get married there. And he said people would come, of course, and from all kinds of different backgrounds, and because they were heading into a church, you know, they'd smoke their final cigarette before they walked in through the doors, and then and uh, Chuck would always talk how they would just put it down and right there at the doors of the entrance and then grind it, you know, with their, uh, their shoe into the asphalt. And then as the day would be over, Chuck would go around and he'd pick those cigarette butts up so they wouldn't be there for the following day on Sunday. 
and he confessed. He said, I had the hardest time picking up those cigarette butts because his mother had told him all of his childhood, never touch a cigarette. And every time he reached down to pick it up, uh, he heard his mother's voice telling him never to touch a, 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 a cigarette. And imagine what was ringing. I mean, comparatively, in the hearts and the minds and the ears of these Jewish Christians who knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law for righteousness, but still there was all of these uh, years of of history uh, with these commandments. And then you put yourself in in the shoes of, of the Gentiles. Uh, Those Gentile Christians, they had no interest at all in being encumbered with the 613 uh, laws that comprise the law of Moses in order to kind of accommodate the sensitivities of of their uh, Jewish uh, uh, brethren. And they had not put their faith in Christ to become a Christian and, uh, and to walk in the fullness of the spiritual freedom that Jesus promised. Uh, and they hadn't done that now to come under the law. The law had already done its work in them, in convicting them of their sin and bringing them to a faith in Christ. And as a result, Paul, knowing a Jew himself, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, knowing that disagreements over the far lesser things can uh, blow up the unity of a church. Christians will fight over the color of a hymnal, the color of the carpet that's being put in the church. I mean, they'll fight at the drop of a hat. I don't say that with any kind of pride or amusement. It's an awful thing uh, about us. And, and Paul here, he, and knowing that We'll pick a fight over things far smaller than, than all of this has given us, I think, invaluable instruction concerning how to view and how to address uh, the firmly held uh, convictions of other Christians surrounding what we commonly call Christian liberties or what Paul, uh, uh, in order that we might all serve one another, serve the Lord and worship the Lord harmoniously as Christians. Now, it is uh, vitally important to understand that Paul is not addressing obedience to com- uh, commandments here. He is not saying, well, listen, you can obey the commandments of God if you want to or you don't want to, and we all just have to be understanding of one another on that. He's not talking about commandments. The commandments of God in His Word are to be obeyed by everyone, every Christian, no matter what background we have uh, come from. He's talking about uh, uh, liberties. He's talking about uh, what he refers to, as you notice in verse 1, doubtful things. Doubtful things or Christian liberties refer to things that God's Word does not address uh, definitively. Uh, Things that Christians are free to hold a variety of of opinions about in their own life and in their own uh, practices. They can hold a variety of views related to uh, these issues. Practice on one side of the issue or or, uh, on the other. For instance, as we see concerning the church in Rome, uh, all of this debate and dispute was over food. 
uh, and, and over the day of the week if any Christians were to, to wor- worship upon and, and uh, were, uh, are Christians free to in, eat anything or their foods that we're supposed to avoid. Not for health reasons, but uh, for, uh, uh, as a matter of, of being in right standing with God. And so those were the things they were struggling with in the early church. Those aren't really things that we struggle with as, by and large, as Christians in the United States of America. But examples of liberties or doubtful things that we deal with as Christians today in the body of Christ in the United States and, and that, uh, that can cause this kind of division, that there's a place for a difference of opinion on it and even a difference of, of practice related to it. It certainly includes the drinking of alcohol. The Bible clearly condemns no Christian or anyone, but no Christian is ever to be drunk ever to come under the influence of alcohol. That moment where you feel that buzz, you've gone too far now. Uh, That's something that has a greater control over you now than the Holy Spirit. And no Christian is to ever ever, uh, go there. But clearly, as you read the Bible, the Bible does not prohibit it. It is a a mandate for every single uh, Christian. And so uh, Christians have strong uh, convictions in both directions on the issue. Uh, you go into the areas of, of entertainment or uh, music, and so is a Christian free only to listen to Christian music, or are we free to listen to any music that we want to as long as the content uh, isn't defiling or, or lead us into sin? Uh, last week, in terms of uh, liberties related to what we read and, and uh, input in that way, I had a brother who uh, loves reading military nonfiction and asked me whether it was right uh, to uh, read a book that contained uh, profanity. And I told him he'd have to seek the Lord on that issue uh, personally. Uh, personally, I read a great deal of, of uh, historical uh, nonfiction, and uh, and I have my own internal line when a book uh, begins to become too much of anything, and uh, and it's time for me to put it down. And uh, but everybody has to seek the Lord for that particular line. I can't impose that on somebody else, and nor can they impose that uh, uh, upon me. But and, and that's the line in my life. But everybody has to f- uh, seek the Lord uh, for that line for themselves. There is the issue of the celebration of Christmas. Some uh, Christians believe that uh, Chris, uh, to celebrate Christmas as a Christian is wrong. It is uh, an endorsement of the ancient Roman uh, pagan festival of Saturnalia. And so they won't have anything to do uh, with it at all. And then you have other Christians who think Saturnalia, Schmaternalia. I never think of uh, Saturnalia or Saturn or anything at the time on uh, December 25th. This day is all about uh, the birth of, a, uh, of our Savior. And I'm glad that we live in a world and in a nation that sets aside day to, a day aside to uh, celebrate that uh, great event in, in human history. And then you have Christians who we will divide in terms of liberties over what kind of uh, people or sinners or pagans a Christian should be around. 
And some Christians will have a conviction that there's a certain kind of person that, you know, they're, they're of sinner, that they're to be avoided entirely. And then you have other Christians who look at those same sinners and, and, uh, and they know for them that these sinners are uh, of no danger to my salvation, no danger to uh, my sanctification. I'm not in any danger of being pulled in any way in terms of, of temptation. And, and this Christian looks and says, how are we ever going to reach sinners if we don't engage them? There's the issue of, of owning a luxury home or a luxury automobile or uh, even uh, having a Starbucks latte. I mean, you have some Christians who see uh, the fully convinced that we're never to spend anything upon ourselves that is above the barest necessities of, of life. And anything that is above that is, ought to be uh, funneled and channeled into the work of the Lord uh, locally and, and worldwide. And then you have other Christians who see nothing wrong with enjoying the fruits of their labors. In fact, they view these things as blessings from God. And we could go on and talk about clothing. We could talk about birth control. We could talk about homeschooling. We could talk about what version of the Bible is the best version, uh, uh, accurate of the Bi- uh, 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 accurate version uh, to, to be used. What music style is best to be used uh, in, in a worship service. And, uh, but the list can, is enough of laying out a list here for us to see that what Paul is addressing here is a very, very contemporary issue uh, that we're dealing with all of the time, whether we realize it or not, in our own Christian lives in any church that, that we choose to uh, attend. I think it's interesting to realize that concerning the issue of doubtful things, that God could have taken every single thing in life and he could have been definitive about it. Said, this is always right, this is always wrong, clarified the whole thing, left no liberties, uh, left no uh, doubtful things before us uh, as, as, uh, as Christians. But he didn't uh, choose to do it that way. He's left these liberties uh, to, within our lives. And I think perhaps because uh, concerning these issues, there's more than one way uh, to look at them and still be a sincere Christian. Uh, perhaps uh, it is in, in, uh, in the expression of both sides of these issues that God wants uh, his, uh, uh, to be represented in the world that we, we live in. And, uh, or perhaps these are areas that he wants to be free to define individually in a Christian's life as we would seek him in prayer. And, uh, and then he will guide us on that issue, taking into account our background, taking into account our uh, personality and what part of the world that we live in and, and so forth. Uh, what part of the world are we living to, to represent uh, Christ? And so now back to the church at Rome and Paul's instruction. And here he gives us some uh, talking about here the, the weak brother. Uh, the, weak, uh, the weaker brother concerning Christian liberties is the Christian who believes that one day of the week is more important than all of the others to God uh, in, in worshiping Him, who believes that eating and not eating certain foods is vital uh, to having a, a right standing uh, before God. And notice that Paul calls uh, these Christians, he declares them to be weak in the faith there in verse 1. In other words, 
He brings uh, a strictness, the weaker brother does, to his views concerning uh, Christian liberties that go beyond uh, the teaching of Scripture, beyond the demands uh, of, of Scripture. And sometimes when a person does this, as the weaker brother, they're, they're the, the, uh, and, and stricter in this way in their views, uh, sometimes they're weak in the faith based upon uh, their own personality. Uh, a person is born with a natural bent toward a more legalistic view, a more conservative view of anything that he or she gets put in the middle of. Uh, sometimes a person will have a, 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 a stricter view of things in, in, their, in their life because of their uh, life history. They've been raised in a very strict or, or demanding or uh, legalistic uh, environment. And, and as a result, they have that understanding of God. There's a lot of things that can fashion this. It can be both uh, 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 heredity and it can be environment that can produce this within within our lives. But whatever the case is, uh, his understanding, the weaker brother's understanding of Christian liberties is fashioned uh, more by his own natural personality uh, or the indoctrination of others than, than by the Word of God. Or he takes every implication of every commandment that is given in the Word of God and he takes it beyond what God uh, says uh, in terms of the application of that commandment, and he takes it out to the nth degree in terms of, of strictness. And, and as a result, he lives a very self-imposed Christian life that is much more restrained and restricted than uh, even the Scriptures demand. And, and the belief of this kind of a Christian, as Paul addresses it there in the church at Rome, is that he eats only vegetables there in verse 2. Again, it's not talking about eating vegetables as a, as a health kind of, uh, of a concern at all, uh, but here is the conviction that, uh, that it's necessary in order to truly please God as a Christian. And so probably... Paul here is addressing Jewish Christians, but maybe even some Gentile Christians. Uh, the, the cheapest meat that you could buy in the ancient world was meat that, uh, the, the meat from animals that had been sacrificed to false gods in all of the cities of the Roman Empire uh, that morning. And then those animals would be taken and sold in the various shops. And people, uh, Christians and others, would have, uh, whether Jewish or Gentile, would have a firm conviction that I would never want that meat to ever uh, pass my lips. And so they would uh, rather be a vegetarian and not eat meat uh, than, than to do that. Now he talks about the, str the stronger brother. And he's described in terms of Christian liberties. He believes that he, he may eat uh, all things and be right with God, as Paul talks about it there in verse 2. And uh, that what a person eats uh, has no bearing upon uh, their spirituality at all, uh, whether it's uh, from, the, from meat to vegetables to kale or to Twinkies. It doesn't matter. Uh, it may, it's, it's not saying that it may be good for you. Uh, it may not be good for you, but uh, they realize that it has no bearing on uh, the uh, intimacy or the health of our relationship with God. And so this stronger Christian views all days as alike. Uh, not one day greater than another. They are happy uh, to, to use every day to glorify God and, and to bless and to worship God. 
and, uh, and he is strong in that he understands that pleasing God as a Christian, uh, enjoying a close relationship with God is based solely upon keeping God's commandments and not upon how we choose to conduct ourselves related to uh, doubtful things or Christian liberties. Now, uh, Paul uh, then, in this passage, he provides us with specific instruction concerning how uh, we are to uh, address and get along with one another related to these, these kind of convictions within a local church in order to uh, assure uh, unity and, and harmony within a, a church. And this is very, very important because if you're not aware yet that not every Christian is exactly like you on these issues, uh, go sit in a different row. Uh, at church, or you don't need much exposure to realize that both of these groups of people are heavily represented in every church, including uh, including uh, this this church. It would be uh, in every church made up of strong and, and weak Christians in this regard. It would be very very easy to set up a church uh, that is one in which only the weak could come and uh, feel comfortable, or to set up a church in which only the strong could come and uh, feel at home. It would be very easy for me to enter into this pulpit on a weekly basis and so hammer my particular uh, view of liberties or doubtful things that it would drive one group uh, or the other uh, out uh, of the church. The greater challenge is to have a church in which both kinds of people can feel at home. They can feel welcome. They can get along uh, with one another. And so Paul tells us here how uh, that, uh, that can happen. And, and as we would, uh, he, uh, heeding his instruction here concerning how to navigate all of this to allow for this kind of diversity, it is well worth the effort. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a church that is, 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 is with only one kind of person in the church. And how boring would that be? How boring would it be if everyone was exactly like us? I mean, if we ran into everyone, and, and wouldn't it be terrible to run into yourself continually throughout uh, life? Nothing to learn, no new way to be engaged emotionally or mentally. It would be awful uh, for, for that to happen. And if either group within a church uh, decides to make their view of the various areas of Christian liberty uh, the focus of the church. They're going to make this the litmus test for uh, spirituality. Uh, whether uh, a pastor does it or the church does it overtly or even uh, subtly, you'll slowly drive out uh, every one of, of the other uh, conviction. And then one day you turn around and the entire church is made up of people who are completely uniform uh, on these issues of, of liberty. And you look out and it's a sea of suit and ties. Or you look out and it's a sea of t-shirts and blue jeans and, and uh, sandals. What, or whatever the issue might, might be. But the strength is found in diversity in the body of Christ, not in uniformity uh, concerning uh, liberties. Otherwise, we'll fall prey to the, the self-deception of then looking around the church we attend and seeing it all suits and ties, so to speak, or all t-shirts and blue jeans, so to speak, 
And everyone's of the same mind, everyone concerning every liberty under the sun because we've made sure of it in in the church. And then we think to ourselves, this is a strong church. This is what a church is supposed to look like. I mean, this is what people who are serious about God look like uh, when, uh, uh, when they come to church. And this is what they think like. But if all we're seeing is a uniformity, to a particular view on some Christian liberty as opposed to Christ-likeness, uh, it may not be strong at all in the Lord's eyes, but, but weak. Again, uh, notice in verses 1 and 2, it's important to understand that of the two kinds of Christians, uh, the one who is strong in Christian liberty and the one who is, uh, is strict in, in terms of, of Christian liberty, of the two kinds of Christians, uh, that the one who is the stricter uh, concerning those things is called by Paul uh, the weaker brother. And, uh, and that's important to understand. And, and it can a- and absolutely surprise us. Uh, because we can tend to think that people who take uh, not only God's commandments, but they take Christian liberties uh, this seriously. They become this restrictive and this demanding related to even Christian liberties in their life that that must be the indication that they're the stronger Christian. They must be even more committed to Christ than everybody else is and uh, they're the ones that should be our example in the Christian life. And Paul says, no. He said, don't go there. The exact opposite is true. In terms of how we conduct ourselves among one another, that's a different thing. But understanding who is the weak Christian and who is the strong Christian, no, everybody's supposed to be clear on that. And Paul considered himself among the strong. You notice in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, he declared, we then, speaking of himself, who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to uh, please ourselves. It's important uh, to make this point too because it's important for the weaker brother to understand that uh, they are the weaker brother in this regard and to not be self-deceived into thinking that they are the stronger brother or that they are the more spiritual Christian as a result of it. Because when Paul refers to them as the weaker brother, it's intended to produce humility in this more uh, strict part of the body of Christ, the more legalistic. Because uh, of the two groups, uh, the the weaker brethren are far more likely to make uh, these things the focus. Uh, in a local church and and to uh, make their view of of how to handle Christian liberties the litmus test for spirituality. And so Paul makes it very clear, the one is the weak, surprisingly so, and the one that you would think is the weak is the strong, exactly the opposite as we might uh, uh, kind of uh, consider would be the conclusion. And uh, church history is filled with uh, the church being dominated by the views of, of, of the weak and uh, making that the litmus test for spirituality. The second principle that Paul gives us here is in, uh, in verse 1, uh, the stronger exerted, exhorted to receive one who is weak, but not to dispute over doubtful things. And so 
this is an exhortation to the strong. Uh, the weak uh, uh, brethren, they can be a handful uh, at times, and, and it can take them months and it can take them years to grow uh, into a strong or into a mature view uh, of Christian liberties, and it can require a lot of patience of, of strong Christians in that, that regard while that happens. But they will grow out of a weak position toward a strong position uh, faster if they can do it in a spiritual environment where they see uh, very, very strong, committed Christians who do not allow their liberties to become the focus of their Christian lives. And it's an important part of their exposure in growing uh, out of those if the Lord wants them to do that. I think that the weaker brethren, and, uh, and I certainly by personality, uh, born into the world, uh, a very conservative person, uh, and, uh, and, and by nature I would begin in the category of the weak on any view, and then have to grow out of that toward a greater liberty. We all begin with our starting point. So I, I understand where the weak brethren uh, comes from. But uh, whatever background, if you were, are strong in liberty, always been that way, and, the, and they just seem like goofballs, these people looking for, uh, you, you know, s- some gnat to strain at, uh, the weak brethren really should be viewed with great, great compassion. Uh, by uh, other Christians. It is not an easy thing to have to grow out of what is so deep within them uh, by virtue of heredity, by virtue of their gene pool, by virtue of indoctrination or, or environment that they've been raised in, or in many cases a combination of, of both of those things. And so maybe as one who is strong in this regard, uh, you didn't have to bring all of that baggage into your Christian life. Uh, Be thankful that you didn't. But they did, and they're not to be despised. Now having said that, it is important to, uh, uh, while it is important to receive the weaker brother, it doesn't mean that their view of Christian liberties is ever to be allowed to uh, take a place where it now sets the tone and the focus of the entire church. And that happens very easy. Uh, Otherwise, if you allow that to happen, then every church in the entire world will end up being led and driven by the person with the weakest uh, uh, convictions and conscience in the congregation concerning liberties. The most legalistic Christian within uh, the congregation, which will always bring the ruin uh, of the church, or at the very least, the, the exodus of the strong. So while there is to be the accommodation of the weak, uh, their view is never to be allowed to take over uh, the, the church to where uh, the, these issues become now the focus of the church and, and the, the, again, the litmus test of, of spirituality. Paul says further in verse 3 that we are not to despise uh, or, or judge each other because God has saved and received uh, both the weak and the strong, both of us. And so the strong brother is, is specifically told not to despise. And the idea is to look down upon with kind of a scorn uh, upon the weaker brother for his uh, convictions. 
And the weaker brother is not to judge the stronger brother for his convictions. Ah, they're just carnal. They're all worldly. They're not serious about God the way that we are. And and Paul, he recognizes the natural tendency of of the strong toward the weak and the weak toward the strong. And he he strictly commands us uh, not to do that. And we're not to do so, Paul says, because God has received him. Uh, He has received both of them, made them each a part of his family, and who are we to reject one uh, that God has received? If God's happy to have them be a part of the church, if God's happy to have them be a part of his family and his body, uh, then we should be uh, thoroughly happy with it as well. He goes on to say, in verse 4, another principle related to this, that we're not to judge others in this regard uh, because uh, the other person is God's servant, uh, not ours. So the imagery, if you've ever watched these things, these English movies said in the you know, 18th century or 17th century, and you've got this great manor, this great house, and you've got uh, male and female servants, and you've got a master of the house. It's kind of that imagery that he's, he's talking about. And so God is the master here of a great house, and uh, he is the master of every single uh, servant in his household, every single Christian in the body uh, of Christ. And here you have this master of the house, as Paul is revealing him. He wants peace. He wants harmony in his house. He wants peace. He wants harmony uh, in the churches that are associated uh, with him. And, and so he's the one that sets the standard for the home. And, uh, and he's the one who instructs each and every servant uh, individually uh, to, in terms of what their responsibility is uh, in the household. And as long as everybody goes to him for their responsibilities and keeps their eyes on him and does what he's called them to do, everyone will be fine. Harmony will prevail within the household. The problem occurs when somebody, one of the servants rises up and decides that he's going to determine on behalf of the master what everybody else should do or be or believe. And that's when uh, things begin to uh, go, go sideways and, uh, and, and everything is, is disrupted. And, uh, and so God is saying, listen, there can be this diversity within any church that is called by my name. If everyone will simply say in tune with me individually, everyone will do fine. Uh, the divisions that occur on these issues uh, occur because someone is rising up beyond that and determined to make their instructions from me, the master, the instructions for everyone else in terms of, of liberty and, and, uh, and, and doubtful things. And so the point that Paul is making, and he's very pointed there in the verse, is mind your own business. Sometimes we need to hear, mind your own business. Uh, the old saying, who died and made you boss? Well, God hasn't died and made you the master or the boss. And sometimes I need to hear that, and all of us need to hear that related to this issue of liberties. We want to stick our nose into everybody else's uh, life on this. And God says, uh, no, it's not your job, and uh, that's God's job, and he will take care of it 
He's able to make uh, everyone to stand. He says further in verse 5, let each one be fully convinced in their own minds. And so, what is the solution to these divisions that can occur uh, associated with these uh, 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 doubtful things on an individual level, on a a personal uh, level in our our lives? And... uh, uh, um, well, I've lost my place here on, on things. Okay, yeah, so uh, the, how that, that works in our own individual lives, how are we supposed to come to these convictions concerning liberties and, and, uh, and then be fully convinced that for us this is right? And what we need to do is just search out uh, the issue biblically and then to go to God as an individual human being and a individual Christian and pray and ask God what is right for me, what, uh, what do you want me to do on this particular issue, and to do so until you're fully convinced that your position is, is good with God and that your conscience is clear and then go on about your business. Then notice in verse 6, Paul tells us to realize that uh, two Christians uh, holding completely different views of a, of a particular Christian liberty, uh, and, and, and uh, they live out those convictions with an equally sincere desire to love and to bless God in, do so, in doing so. That can be each of them an equal blessing uh, to God. And and that the motives of each of them are equally pure. They have an equal desire to bless God, an equal desire to please God, and and they hold these convictions with with an equal uh, intensity. He says in verses 7 and 8 that none of us lives to ourselves and no one dies uh, to himself. Now, Paul is not communicating here that you know, no man is an island, and that uh, how we conduct ourselves affects uh, everyone else around us. That's not the point that he's making here in, uh, in these verses. What Paul is saying is that because we live and die to the Lord, in other words, because we enjoy the privilege of an everlasting relationship with God, And because in that relationship with God, we have access to an incredible wisdom, uh, God's wisdom, that we should seek individually regarding what is to be our relationship to any Christian liberty uh, uh, individually and personally. And so it isn't just that we're to look at Christian liberties, say you're the strong one concerning Christian liberties, and say, well, I am strong related to that. We have great freedom concerning uh, these liberties. And I'm going to practice every liberty uh, to the nth degree. And Paul says, no, 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 no. There's another uh, uh, angle to this. And that is, It isn't enough for any of us individually to know that we have these liberties, but then we are to take those liberties to God and say, God, what glorifies you in the expression and partaking of these liberties in the light of who I am, in the light of what my family is, in light of the country that I live in? Uh, Every missionary in the world can be strong in the liberties that they have. But when they go to another part of the world, if they demand 
Though they know that they are free to do it as a Christian, they demand to exercise every single liberty that they have uh, within that context. They will utterly hamstring themselves in terms of being effective in that culture. And so God may speak to a missionary or speak to us in terms of where we live and, and move and have our being and say, listen, I know you have liberty here, but I, I want you to exercise that liberty uh, to this degree in the light of my call and purpose uh, for your, uh, uh, your life. Notice in verse 9, he says that we are to additionally to remember that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, uh, not only to save us, but in order that he might be the Lord of our lives, including obeying what he tells us to obey in terms of engaging in, in these uh, liberties. Again, it isn't enough to know that I have liberty as a Christian to engage in something. I need to know the mind of Christ concerning me personally and this particular uh, uh, issue and whether the Lord wants it to be a part of my life. Uh, Paul talked about it from his own experience and his own uh, understanding of all of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, and they weren't. Uh, Paul, as we'll see on another sermon, he said, to the Jew I became as a Jew, to the Gentile I became as a Gentile. Uh, I determined how I expressed my uh, 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 liberties in terms of the group of people that I was around uh, in order that, uh, I, that I might by uh, some means be able to save some in, in each group. And so uh, there, is, there is the calling upon our lives that is a serious consideration in all of this. And then finally in verses 10 through 12, uh, Paul closes the section with the exhortation that instead of uh, uh, judging your brother uh, to focus on your Christian life uh, and service in preparation for standing before the judgment seat of Christ and to give an a, a account of ourselves uh, to God. The judgment seat of Christ here is referred to as the Bema seat, and it was uh, it is not the, the white throne judgment that, uh, the, 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 the world that has rejected Christ and has no covering for their sin is going to stand before God one day and uh, before being judged and cast into eternal judgment. Uh, for a failure to receive the forgiveness of sins, it's found solely in Christ. No Christian will ever be judged for our sins. But every single Christian, every Christian in this world, every Christian in the world, we are going to be judged one day. And we're going to be judged before what is known as the Bema Seat of Christ. Uh, and the Bema Seat in the ancient world was a, uh, the seat of judgment uh, that had its foundation in the Greek world and then ultimately was a part of the Roman world as well, where you would be brought before uh, the judge and, uh, and, the, and, uh, and you'd be judged for uh, your conduct. Uh, it was, a, it was this, the Bema seat was the seat where in, in the various kind of Olympic games and other games that they have where the, uh, the person that had run in the race or whatever it would be would be brought before the Bema seat and receive their reward. And so it's the seat that we're all going to stand before one day, before Jesus, and we're going to give an account for the faithfulness, our faithfulness 
to the Christian life that we lived, our faithfulness to the calling uh, that God has called each and every one of us to. And Paul is in essence saying that's enough to keep any of us busy uh, for the rest of our life and without being worried about what everybody else is or isn't doing in terms of liberties, which can become a full-time job. And uh, if we make it a full-time job, we'll never fulfill what God has called us to and, and, uh, and put in jeopardy hearing that, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into uh, the joy of the Lord, which we want to one day uh, hear from the Lord. And so all of that time that is spent uh, judging Christians on all of these things or, uh, you know, showing contempt for Christians over these doubtful uh, things, Paul says it's all uh, better directed uh, toward uh, getting going with what God has called you to do and preparing for that day. Now, because the differences of opinions and perspectives are, are inevitable and, and something as diverse as the, as the body of Christ, the body of Christ is intended to be the most diverse thing in the entire world. And, uh, but with that diversity, uh, even in the area related to views concerning Christian liberties, uh, it can bring a temptation uh, for conflict and for division. And so here Paul uh, instructs us so that a church can be a peaceful place, it can be a loving place, it can be a Christ-centered place, the, the place that God wants it to be and that, that we need it to be. This church, for instance, any church that you want that, uh, where there is this peace and joy and people coming in with different convictions on, on different things in liberties, it's because people have a mature view of both of these things. Whether they consider themselves to be weak or strong, there's the understanding that other people can have other convictions on this that are different uh, than me. But in this place, they seem to continually point us to God, and they don't make these issues, uh, you know, the, the badge of spirituality or make them the focus of, of our Christian lives. And so we're able uh, to get along. And, but what is, is uh, I hope, true of the pulpit here uh, and the leadership here needs to also be true of, of each of us toward one another in order for these things not to destroy a church, and they can readily destroy a church. Let's stand together now and we'll pray. And before we pray, if you stand here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, uh, there'll be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and we'd love to pray with you to enter into a relationship with God through faith in His Son, and uh, enter into the very relationship that you've been created for and without which nothing in life will satisfy or make sense. Father, thank you for this instruction. We thank you for the peace that we enjoy um, in this church family uh, because these truths have been embraced by, by so many. And we pray, Lord, that this instruction today would, would reach into each one of our hearts and, and to remove us from being a danger to the unity of any church that we're a part of on the basis of Christian liberties or on the basis of uh, doubtful things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.